Hey, everybody. Um, I don't know. Shabbat Shalom. Um, just a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Georgia. Um, was raised, actually, in the Baptist church. So, had the Messiah growing up. But um, in 2005 was... Found myself in a messianic synagogue. Uh, it's a crazy story, and you know we'll we'll be here all day, so I can give you all those details. But I was uh, through my dad. A, a random guy came into his place of work wearing a kippa and starts talking to my dad. And um, next thing you know, we're we're at the synagogue in Macon. It's called Beth Yeshua, and I walked in, and it was. I mean, I can only explain it as like it was. You know, some things God does with us, it's a process. It takes time because we need time because we don't get everything right away. But then there's some things it's like with Paul. It was just, you know, and we're down. It was that I walked in and I didn't understand everything I was seeing, but it resonated with my soul. And, uh, you know, that was it. Uh, and have not looked back. And that was back in 2005. And in 2000. 10, I met Brooke, and that's another story. No, 2008, yeah. She was from Texas. We got married in 2010. I'm sorry. I shouldn't know that. That's bad. <laughs> She's from Texas. I'm from Georgia. We met through a mutual friend. That's another great story, and we had a lot of fun getting to know each other and stuff, and, and yeah, that's another great story, but uh, we met David and Danny. I want to get that year right. It's 2015. In January, we were at a little conference, and a lot of the Messianic Jewish conferences are in Florida. And we were there, and we were eating lunch by ourselves, and Brooke and I had taken separate classes. And we were just kind of talking about what we had learned and stuff, and I look up, and David's standing there. You had this massive sandwich, I think. Sandwiches, I speak. And you're like, hey, uh, anybody sitting with y'all? I was like, no. That was it. So it's been great. We've loved it. Um, so we've come here. They visited us a few times, and we really have had a great friendship. Any other details in between 2005 or 1980 when I was born to 2005 to 2010, I I'm happy to share with you guys. I want to get right into um, what I'm talking about today. Um, so when we think about Sukkot, what do we think about? Uh, I, I think that it's different for everyone in some things because we're all different. We all have a different story. I'm going to say that probably a few times. Um, I didn't think I was going to bring this up, but I think I am. Uh, does anybody read? Has anybody ever read Chronicles of Narnia, that book? There's a few people who are familiar with Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, well, the guy who wrote that book, C.S. Lewis, he's a believer. And it was a long time ago, British guy. But he wrote that. What is that term called when you use the symbolism? Illusion. It's definitely an illusion, a, a lot of biblical illusions in that story. His, his idea was basically... What if Earth wasn't the only place and God revealed himself in other worlds in certain ways? At any rate, what I'm getting at is um, Yeshua is actually, he actually makes appearances in that story, but he's in the form of this lion named Aslan. And there's one word he tells somebody who's asking about someone else, like, what about this person? He goes, I only he goes we only hear our story. It's, you know, and, and I think that's so important because we are all... You know, and there's people in our lives, you know, Brooke is in my life, my children are in my life. But then there comes a time 
where it's you and God's story. You know, I, you know, when I, before I had kids, I, had, I worked with a guy and he said, you know, when you have kids, it's all over. He goes, everything's, well, it's true that everything's different, but I just don't believe in centering my life around anything but the Lord. Because, and the disciples did that. They compared each other and they competed. Remember Peter with John, with John you know, he asked Yeshua, what are you going to do? Is right there towards the end. He goes, what about this guy? He goes, what's it to you? And you got your story. And I love you. And that's all you need to know. And understand this, very important. I went through this for a long time. I always compared and competed with other people in the kingdom because I just felt like for some reason, God likes that person more. Now, some people do act like God likes them more and that's not good either. It's not good. But a lot of people walk around and feel like he loves me, but not that much. Understand this. Yeshua said, actually it was on Sukkot in John chapter seven. He said, anyone who is thirsty, let's go. Let's do this thing. Anyone. He's not a respecter of persons. The difference is with us. God is not different towards people. We're different towards God. God loves all of us with an equal richness, but there's some people that love God more than others. Perfect example. Well, we'll get into that. So let me read about Sukkot, though. What do you think about when you think of Sukkot on the 15th? I'm going to read what Leviticus 23 says. I think we went through that in the Torah reading, but I want to go through it again because I'm going to pick out a couple things. On the 15th day of the seventh month, this is Leviticus 23, 39 through 43. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you are to keep the Feast of Adonai for seven days. The first fruits of the land, you were, I uh, read that again. Okay, the first day is to be a Shabbat rest, and the eighth day is also to be a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you were to take choice fruit of trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. You were to celebrate seven days. Think about that. That's, I want to focus on seven days. I'm going to come back to that. You were to celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for seven days in the year. It's a, it's a statute forever throughout your generations. You were to celebrate it in the seventh month. You were to live in Sukkot for seven days. All native born in Israel are to live in Sukkot so that your generations may know that I had B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, to dwell in Sukkot, tabernacles, booths, tents. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am Adonai, your God. Sukkot is also referred to as the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I want to focus on two things, the fact that it's seven days and the fact that it's, it has to do with uh, tabernacles or booths. So the fact that it's seven days is significant because, because it's long. And I'm sure Rabbi David's taught it, but the feasts are important because they're a shadow of things to come, like a dress rehearsal. That's why it's so important. They all mean something having to do with something much larger. The Passover, which was, has been celebrated since, you know, the Exodus, was a much greater story about the Messiah. Sukkot is a much greater story about us and the Lord. In Exodus, the tabernacle, which the Hebrew word is mish, I'm only gonna give you three Hebrew words. Two, two Hebrew words, one Greek word. In tavern, the tabernacle, the words mishkan, which is simply dwelling place or a tabernacle. It's all over Exodus. I'm not going to give you an Exodus scripture because the tabernacle is all in there. It housed the presence of God, a physical presence that a high priest could only go to once a year, right? But it was there. They, had the, they physically saw a pillar of fire and a cloud by day a fire by, uh, and fire by night. In John chapter 1, which we also read earlier today, in the begin it says in um, 
if you want to get the, script, the scriptures from me, I can get them from my notes. I'm sorry, I don't want to go too fast, but it's hard not having kind of a, a reference. I teach, by the way. I teach high school. You have to have references. You've got a point. You can't just stand and talk to those kids. <laughs> teach high school, and you can lose them. You will lose them. Okay. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I'm going to skip down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It uses the word tabernacle, a verb. We looked upon his glory and the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Tabernacle is now, now this is the New Testament, so it's Greek. The word is skenu, which simply means to dwell or to have one's tent. Very much like a tabernacle. So the Feast of Tabernacles is essentially the Feast of Dwelling Places, the Feast of Tents. And now we've got to look at the tent. All these tents are pretty small, so you can't get away from each other. And you're pretty face-to-face in there. I mean, I know some have rooms. I think I talked to Jesse. I said, hey, he's got rooms. Yeah, he's got four of them, but it's still small. You can't really escape each other. And this is exactly where God wants us. Not just during Sukkot, but every single day. For me, Sukkot is about his presence. The word presence comes from the Hebrew word panim, which literally means face, to be in front of or to be before. God wants us right in front of him, right here. In Genesis, when he created man, it says that he breathed his breath into, he breathed into man. So it wasn't like, it was right here, is where God wants to be. It's not being weird. It's intimacy. He just wants to be close. He loves us very much. The tent is a place of intimacy. So Sukkot is about a place, really, I think. Now, we can have that intimacy 365, 24-7, but we, it's hard to maintain. And God understands that. Circumstances, we get busy. We're not perfect. We fall short. We sin. We fail. But we can always come back. Always come back. But the tent is this idea that God wants to be right in our face. And ultimately, it's our end game. Living with God. We can't imagine that. It's hard to imagine that because this life is insane. And it just seems too good to be true that we would live with God forever. But that is where we're all going. His presence being with us is what Sukkot celebrates. Again, panim, face, in front of. I'm going to rapid fire just a few verses about how important God's presence is to our forefathers. In in Exodus 33, chapter 14, Moses says, if your presence does not go with me, don't let us go up from here. Which means the promised land's wonderful, but we'll stay in this really rocky, rough place forever if your presence stays here. But if, if we're not going to go to this promised land, this wonderful place, if your presence doesn't go with us. So through the good, through the bad, through the circumstances, through the mundane, we have to have God's presence. And Moses was uncompromising, like, I'm not going to go back and tell them to pack up and move if your presence is not going to go with us. And of course, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. How many of us need that? It's so important. In Psalm 16, David says, Abundant joys, abundance of joys are in your presence. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. King David knew God very well. Not perfect either. He was a mess. And that's why I love David's story, because I'm a mess. I need to know that I can be a mess and know that when I go to God, he's like, let's go. Come on, get back up. 
Let's do it. I'm not good at getting up, still getting better. It's hard when I fall short. Bouncing back, some people are really good at it. Some people fall and they're right back up. But David knew, he had that revelation. He knew that, he, and not to take advantage of it, but he, he knew that he believed in God's mercy. He believed in God's forgiveness. That's how he was able to come back from what he had did, what he had done with Bathsheba and with Uriah, his great sin. Uh, in Psalm 31, David, in the shelter of your presence, you hide them from people's plots. So his presence is a place of safety. In Psalm 42, the psalmist, we don't know who exactly who it was, one of the sons of Korah. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the salvation of his presence. And in Psalm 51, in the lowest point in his life, David did something that like, we would watch on like a true crime show, which I do watch. I watch like a lot of true crime. I have to be careful with it because it can really make you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to leave my house. But you know, true crime's like the thing now. We love that. Unsolved Mysteries and all that stuff is back on Netflix and all that. David did something where he would be the center of like 48 hours and we'd be like, man, this guy's nuts. David did something, and I'm just going to name a couple of them. It was adultery, conspiracy to commit murder, lying, all those things, manipulation. And when he wrote Psalm 51 after he was confronted in his sin, first off, when he was confronted, his response was, I sinned. No excuse. But when he wrote Psalm 51, he, could, he, he, he should have died. He should have definitely lost his kingship. But what does he say? Do not cast me from your presence. It was the one thing David cared about more than anything. And it was why David didn't lose his crown in the end. It was why David didn't lose his anointing and his position. He was punished, certainly. But the first and foremost thing is like, you can throw me on the street. I'll be a vagabond. I'll live in rags. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. That was what made David the better man when we compare him with Saul. Because they both screwed up. Saul. But how did Saul lose it and David didn't? David loved God. Saul, not so much. Do not cast me from your presence. And it's not just, again, it's not just a one-way street. We're not just wanting to be in God's presence. God also wants to be with us. In John 17, Yeshua, towards the end of his life, I mean, this is about to be, he's about to be executed. And he prays, not only for the disciples, but for us. In John 17, verse 11, he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And Yeshua knew exactly how nasty and decrepit and horrible the world could be. And we're here. And he said, they're going to be here. I'm going to you. I'm going to be sitting next to you but they're still going to be here in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are. Down to verse 24. Father, I also want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Presence. So that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Sukkot celebrates the fact that God wants to be with us and wants us to want him in return, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. Joshua, who became the leader of the Israelites after Moses passed away, when Moses would leave the tent of meeting after talking with God, Joshua would remain in the tent. He simply wanted to be near his God, which is what made him the perfect candidate to take over. When we compare Saul and David, Saul ferociously protected his own image and, con and was obsessed with what the people thought. David obsessed with God's presence. After his resurrection, Yeshua told Miriam, remember that, uh, he, he, he resurrects. He runs into Miriam, not runs into her, I mean, she was supposed to see him, but she, 
She doesn't recognize him at first. But as soon as she does, she says, Rabbi. And we don't know what happened between the moment she said Rabbi, but we know the next thing that said. Yeshua says, stop clinging to me, which means she grabbed him. And that's how we need to be when we see him. When we feel that presence, we just need to grab. What did Peter do when he saw Yeshua after denying him three times? He, he didn't wait for the boat to come to shore. Jumped in the water. Stop clinging to me. Not because he didn't want Miriam to hold on to him. He loved Miriam. It was because he had to go so he could send the Spirit. This is not only a celebration, Sukkot. It's, a time, it's not only a time of worship. It's a rehearsal for what's coming. And these are God's appointed times. He never misses an appointment, guys. That's what he says. Because these are my appointed times. Like, I'm going to be here whether you come or not. But he is here. It might not be a cloud by day. It might not be the fire. It might, it's, it's usually just the still small voice. And that's frustrating. Because that's tough. God wants you to know he's happy with you. He doesn't want you to be any different. He wants you to be happy with him, though. In Nehemiah... They celebrated Sukkot um, and Ezra. They had just been in Persian captivity because of sin. And when they came back, Ezra read the law. People hadn't heard it for years. They hadn't heard God's word. They'd been in another country, other gods. It says here in October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose in the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the, the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey, which they didn't. They didn't. That's why they were in Persia. And now they've been brought back. They're back home with their dad. And dad's happy. So Ezra starts to read the book, uh, the book of the law. And let's go down to... It says, They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand. They didn't have been so long. Helping the people understand what it meant. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I'd like to think that some of them were probably crying happy tears, but I'd like to think that some of them were just ashamed. Were just cut to the heart and was probably worried. He's mad at me. He's mad because I disobeyed. He's mad because I screwed up. He's mad because I left. And I felt led to say this, say this one statement, because even if one person's meant to hear it, God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. He's happy that you're here. And he was happy that his kids were home. I just want to tell a little story. I'm going to tell a story and read a little scripture and then close. Um, the Thursday night before we came here, um, we put our son to bed around 8 or 9 o'clock when he can listen. And that night, he had a really bad night. He was very disobedient. And it started kind of in the early afternoon, excuse me, the late afternoon, and it went through the evening, and we were trying, and it just was, wasn't happening anymore. Had to deal with him. Had to send him to bed early. We had to take his bedtime snack. He was in the middle eating a snack and just wasn't listening, so we had to take the snack. And he cried all the way to bed. And we all do that with the Lord. We fuss and we cry and we do the things that we're not supposed to do. So he goes to bed a few hours later. In fact, it was quite a few hours later. It was about two in the morning. Me and Brooke stay up really late and we're on the porch and all of a sudden we see this light behind us and it is Josie who has gotten up in, at 2 a.m. with a flashlight. I turn around 
And when he saw me, he ducked down behind the couch. And when I walked in, now understand, he had really upset me earlier that night because he wasn't listening. But after just a few hours, when I walked in and saw him, he was huddled in a little ball on the couch. I don't know if he still thought I was mad at him. I think he thought, you know, we were still upset. I wasn't. Uh, when I saw his crazy bed hair, and when I grabbed him, uh, and I saw his little apples because he was smiling, I missed him. And I got nothing on the Lord as a dad. Nothing. I need God's mercy every second. I need his grace every moment. And I still screw up and I'm a train wreck a lot of days. But I was not thinking about my son's failure to obey. And that's not to say that we shouldn't acknowledge our sins before the Lord. But at the same time, we cannot, we, we've got to give God the credit he deserves as the good father he is that sometimes picks us up when even when we don't want to be and we don't have a say in it. And he says, hey, I don't want to talk about that. I just missed you. And that's what I told my kid. I said, I missed you, kid. I was happy to be able to put him to bed smiling and not crying. And that's what God wants to do with you. All the time, not just during Sukkot. He doesn't want you to think about your failures, your flaws, and your issues this week. He wants to meet with you. For some of you, it might be to tell you something. For some, it might be so you can tell him something. But for some, it might just be that silence and that rest of just knowing that your dad is holding you and that you can rest on him. I'm going to end with this because this is where it's all heading for all of us. This is why we do Sukkot. And this is why God is teaching us to do Sukkot. Because we're heading to this day, as David was referring to earlier, that great day. In Revelation 21, I also heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, also, look. My son says that all the time. Look, 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 look. Because he's excited. Now, at this point, I'm pretty sure everybody sees what's going on. I just think that the voice from the throne is excited. Now, time is not an issue with God. That doesn't mean he's not excited for this day. And I think when it happens, he's going he's gonna to look at all of us and he's going to go, Look, we made it. The dwelling of God is among men. And he shall tabernacle among them. It's like when daddy comes home from work. You've been waiting all day. He's going to be home with us. Not a cloud of, uh, not a cloud by day. Not a fire by night. No mist. No thunderous noise. It says that, there might be some thunderous noise, but the fact of the matter, it says that they, it says that, behold, the dwelling of God is among men and he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people. And God himself, God's like, I'm not going to use the pillar of fire. I'm not going to use the cloud by day. I'm going to show up, me, and we're going to see his face. Amen. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated upon the throne, and there's only one, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. So this Sukkot, I pray that you, you just meet with our Father, that we just meet with Dad however that looks, because he's more than willing and excited. Father, I uh, thank you. Um, I'm just thankful that you are who you are. And I know that it's, I'm so thankful that, that even though sometimes we don't see you the way we should, because life is tough, you understand what we see and what we go through, what we deal with, and how sometimes in the midst of our failures, sometimes our sins, 
life circumstances, that it's hard to catch that still small voice. I'm so thankful that you keep trying. I'm so thankful that you never give up on us. And I'm so thankful that right now you're absolutely available and ready just to, just to be with us. And Father, I just pray that each person here will encounter you in some way, however it is that their story needs, their story requires. Because Father, we're all special, we're all unique in your sight, and your love for us is equally rich. I pray that we fall in love with you more this week than we were before. And we praise you and we thank you. And Lord, just uh, let your presence be known here in this place in Yeshua's name. Amen.